Wow, that lip is real. In the back. <laughs> if I fall, just leave me there. There's nothing worse than somebody trying to help you up. So awkward, you know? It just never goes well, and, and it's sad for everybody. So good morning. Um, thank you for having me. My name is Elisa Cortez-Bast. Um, I always put the Cortez in because I'm not related to the rest of the Reformed Bass, and um, I always get that, and I'm like, nope, uh, same constellation, different star. And so um, but I'm grateful to be a part of the Reformed Church. If you could put up the next slide. So um, Pastor Kevin said, hey, can you preach on March 8th? And I said, yeah, I'm in town. That's great. And I said, you know, what do what you want uh, me to preach on? And he said, well, evangelism is part of momentum. And I said, oh, everybody farms that out. So I'm like, great, no problem. I love that. It's my jam. And then I said, wait a minute, isn't that daylight savings time? And he's like, no, these are very responsible people. <laughs> so daylight savings hit my family a little bit harder. So they're running late um, to our home church. Uh, but meanwhile, I had to get on the road. But I come um, more than anything else on behalf of Jesus Christ, but on behalf of this group of people right here. Um, my husband, EJ, and my sons, Roman and Judah, um, we come as a family that's on mission together. And so we firmly believe um, that more than just talking about the gospel, we try to live it as much as we can. So we say that we are a family on mission. And so you can come in our home um, and expect us to have gluten-free snacks if you need them. But also if you need prayer, um, we encourage our boys to lay hands on people and to pray for them um, because we believe that discipleship starts at home. And so I come um, not only as a testament to God's goodness, but I come as a testament to my family and God's goodness to my family. So I just let people know that right away. Uh, we are not perfect. Um, this morning, I like, had to kind of pole vault over my youngest son who came downstairs uh, wearing a Minion t-shirt and Detroit Tiger shorts and, um, and two different socks that were pulled up to his knees. And I was like, yeah, go get your dad. He's going to help you get dressed. So... Um, you just see that picture, it's like, that was, that was the best of the pictures at this point, and we're not all even looking at the camera, and um, Judah's super salty at the bottom there, so. Um, today, we're just going to talk about evangelism in two parts, super, super practical. Um, we're just going to talk about a biblical expression, just a biblical case of why evangelism is important. Um, and then the second thing, we're just going to talk about a very practical way um, to evangelize. For some reason, this more than any other topic seems to be the thing that paralyzes people down to their core. Um, we think we can um, just kind of move it to like pastors. We hope like our big thing is we can invite people to Sunday morning and then let our pastor talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and that's like kind of our participation in the process. Like if we can get them in the door, somebody else is going to carry the ball down the field. And it's one of the few things that we're all called to as believers. Every single person um, who has faith in Jesus Christ is called um, to take part in this work. But um, for folks like me who are perfectionists, um, it is one of those things that can paralyze you if you don't start finding practical ways and just very simple and natural and organic ways um, to share the good news of the gospel. So we're going to start this morning. Before we start, I want to give the introverts, if you're an introvert, don't raise your hand. The extroverts, raise your hands for me. Okay, like six of you. Great. Okay, so this is for the introverts in the room. The extroverts are going to say, we do this all the time. The introverts, I didn't make you raise your hand on purpose. If you can go to the next slide. 
What I want you to do, and we're gonna come back to this later when we talk about a practical expression, I want you to just think about your favorite verse in the Bible or a verse that's speaking to you right now. Write it down, just put like a little note in the side of your margins, uh, keep it in the back of your head. Um, if there's something like a verse you go back to, it just seems to come back for you all the time. If you don't even know where it is in the Bible, you just know it's somewhere in the Bible, that's okay too. Just make a note because I want you to come back to it. Um, or even a story. Um, I know some folks um, identify more with heroes of the faith or, or people that have come back from unbelievable circumstances. But I, I want you to come back to it. So make sure that you write it down. These are internal processors and introverts. Um, I see you this morning, and so I want to just give you as much lead time as possible. And don't you dare go for coffee and leave for a bathroom break um, when we get back to it, because I'm coming for you. <laughs> All right, our verse this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you? Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. This is the word of the Lord. If you would pray. God, I am so grateful that you gave us your word. And I'm grateful that throughout the scriptures, you have always desired to come back to us, that you've always wanted a place among us. God, you could have chosen to be anywhere. And you chose to be among your people. God, that is incredible. That is so incredible. We thank you for the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the good news of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and empowers us. God, would we be so compelled to share that good news? Would our feet be shed with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Would we be active in understanding and knowing if the person next to us, at the gas station, at the coffee shop, um, while we're waiting to pick up the kids and the grandkids, would we be curious to know if they know the Lord and would there be urgency in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was praying um, about um, the sermon today and just kind of where I wanted to land, I was just thinking about um, all the places, um, and I'm grateful uh, for Pastor Dave Berenger for kind of helping me walk through this, is that there's been this progression throughout uh, the narrative of the scripture where there has been this desire for God to be closely connected with his people. And so we see it in Eden, where God is walking in the cool of the day before the fall with Adam, and there's this close desire um, to be together, and that it's missed right away, and Adam hides when he's separated from God, and God calls out for Adam, looking for him. We see in the tabernacle in Exodus 25, and, and, and if you read the book of Exodus, it's really divided into three stories. There's the part where they're saved. They're saved from um, their captivity with the Egyptians, and then um, if you really love to dig into like Leviticus and Numbers, the middle part of Exodus is this part where he's talking about how they need to behave in this new paradigm of being saved and being rescued. But then the last part of Exodus talks about how to experience a deeper sense of God. He talks about the tabernacle and his desire to be close with people. And so we see that even in this desire to reach back out and to walk again with his own people, God saves them, he talks to them about their behavior, but then he invites them to experience him deeper, that he still reaches back for his people. 
For those of us that are history buffs, we know um, the tabernacle experiences some challenges as they're moving in. The ark is like rested at a particular place. And David, King David, decides that he wants to build a permanent place for God, that he doesn't want God to be walked around in a box and, and put out in a tent in the desert. And so he saves and gathers the resources. And God tells him that his son Solomon is going to build the temple. And here we have um, in First Chronicle, excuse me, Second Chronicles seven, and in First Kings eight, that God says that He's going to dwell there. That it is a place that is built for Himself. He says the same thing about the tabernacle, and He embodies it in the garden. That God is always looking for a place to be, a place where His own Spirit can live and can be close to His people. And so we see in 2 Chronicles 5, 1 Kings 8, that the temple is this place now where people can experience healing, they can experience forgiveness. Solomon even prays and says, look, if someone doesn't even believe in God, but a foreigner that's in your midst looks to the temple and says, I am going to pray to you, God, would you answer their request? The temple was a powerful place for God to meet his people. And he says, in the tabernacle, and he says, in the temple, that it is a place where my eyes and my heart can dwell and live. And so, friends, as we get to 1 Corinthians, it is no small thing when God says, through Paul, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I know that scripture like, is embedded, it's talking about being pure with our bodies, and it's talking about our behavior towards one another, but he says something so profound and significant in that moment, because every time the temple and the tabernacle are built, God says that my eyes and my heart will rest there, and my very own presence will be there. So think about it. When Paul says, you are the temple, all the things that happened in the temple healing, forgiveness of sins, reaching across the divide, the bridge between God and his own people, that the eyes of God and the heart of God would rest there. So when we understand that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, it's not just a desire to be like, oh shoot, I better get my stuff together and I better be just straight and narrow. It's God saying, I've chosen you the place for my eyes and my heart to dwell. So, God talks about this when he says through the prophets that he's going to bring Jesus and he's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. It was just um, a road sign saying, I'm coming. It was the billboard for his own people saying, look, I'm not going to be separated from you anymore. Even though the temple was destroyed, I'm coming back because there's something inside of God that is always reaching for his people and desiring closeness for his people. And there's something inside of us that is always desiring to be close and connected to God. Now, I love that us being the temple of God speaks to like our, um, our God's desire to be close to us. I love that. And I love um, just the idea of just a heavenly father that says, I'm going to cross through space and time. And even though you may do terrible things and think terrible things, I'm still reaching for you. But there's something inside of God too that I completely love um, because he knows that for his people, seeing is believing. There's a little bit of Thomas the Doubter in all of us. You know, let me just touch this. Let me just, just see if it's true. Um, 
let's be honest, if you, <laughs> the spring is a classic example. For those of us that um, check the weather in the morning, if you check the weather every morning, whether you look on like the TV or app, raise your hand. How many of you immediately go and look outside to see if it's actually true? <laughs> okay, so, and, and, and I'll even tell people, oh man, this, this looks good. And then of course, I will like, like open up the blinds in the morning and just, just to be sure, just in case. There is something inside of us that is always like, uh, but, but is it really true? I just want to know if it's really true. And we're wired that way, which is okay. And so God in his goodness says, I'm not only going to tell you that I want to be close to you, but I'm going to put like a physical space where you can always see me too. So we had the garden, we had the tabernacle, and so we had the temple and all of its glory, and guess what? Now we have the church, us, each one of us. Why? Not only does God want to be close to his people, but he understands that his people need to see. There's something about us that seeing is believing. And so when we say that we are the temple, it is the temple and the tabernacle walking amongst people who are looking to see if God is really real. And that is why evangelism is important. That is why the good news is, is so critical. This is why it matters. Because at the end of the day, for watching and awaiting world, they need to see the physical presence of God here on earth. They need to see people that are walking out their faith, and maybe if it's not even perfectly, but to see the redemptive God moving and living amongst us. Friends, if you think people aren't watching, I mean, I have an eight and a four-year-old now, and people used to say you'd have to watch what you say when you had kids. And I was like, whatever. And um, my eight-year-old is very linear, very black and white. And so I will just casually say to my husband, hey, I'm wondering if we should take them out to lunch today. Now, he can't hear me telling him to pick up for nothing. Like, I can be right at him, and he's looking at me going, I don't know what this means. But with his bat ears, he could hear me in another room saying, hey, I think we should go to lunch. And sure enough, he'll come back to me and say, I think you said that you were, you said this to me. I thought we were getting our stuff ready. He's always, always, always watching. I'll tell you, the world is the same way. They're always, always, always watching. And you may think, you know what? They're going to think they're this, or they're going to think we're that. It doesn't matter what we do. But you know what matters? The one person that's going, is God real? Because I so want to meet him. I'm terrified and I'm lonely. I'm depressed. I feel helpless. My aunt was in the hospital, in and out, for five years. Five years that we were in and out, and she had sepsis and, and breast cancer, and it was just one thing after another. And we were so mindful, we were so mindful um, of our witness in that moment, even though it was so difficult. And my husband um, would go up in the middle of the night, and he would just read scripture over her. And we were just like, well, we don't want to be weird. And we were frustrated with the doctors. We were angry. We were lost. We were confused. And sure enough, one nurse, one nurse, because we were up there, and she goes, I've been watching your family. And my husband led her to faith in the middle of that emergency room. 
And I don't say that for our glory. I say that because in the middle of the day, when we were so frustrated with the doctors, it was easy to be like, you know what? This is about to turn into a lawsuit. I mean, God bless my husband. He's, he's so calm, and the rest of us are just Puerto Rican. So it's ever, everything all over the place. You know, so God, Jesus knew him. You know, he was the one, because the rest of us are like, oh. Um, and it was, but there was something inside of us that we would have to self-regulate all the time and say, as mad as we are, as frustrated as we are, is there anybody here that might not know Jesus? Is there anybody here? And we'd have those conversations because at the end of the day, we're like, look, if God calls my aunt home, which he did, then we are going to make the enemy pay for it every single way we know how by sharing the good news with as many people as we can. Because it's not going to be for nothing. Because the gospel matters. The gospel matters. I can't tell you how many people we ended up laying hands on and just asking, can we pray for you? And they're like, oh, I'm not religious. But nobody, nobody in the emergency room says no to prayer. (laughs) And there's a part where we had to watch our witness because at the end of the day, we said, you know what? We're walking in here as the temples of the Holy Spirit. We know that God lives inside of us and we're scared and we're confused and we're lost and we're frustrated. We're angry and we're tired and we're kind of smelly. But at the end of the day, the gospel matters. And so we had to stop and we would just stand in the parking lot and cry and pray and say, okay, God, the gospel matters. And we're going to go in there and we're going to go and be the salt and light you've asked us to be. And if if people need prayer, we're going to pray. And we're going to ask them and be bold, even if we look like complete weirdos. We're already crying and smelly anyway. So we're weirdos with all the other weirdos in the emergency room. And that's how we did life for five years five years. And I'll tell you, it was worth it. It was worth it. So what happens when God and his people are together? We see through the biblical narrative that when God and his people were together, when they were doing what they were supposed to do, when they were in communication and in fellowship with God, that life was good for them. That in the temple, in the tabernacle, they experienced, like I said, healing. They experienced forgiveness. They experienced um, community together. And then every time they broke away from the worship of God in that place, every time we break away from the worship of God, that something just disintegrates. And I'm not even talking about church. I'm talking about saying, God, this is your temple. What do you want me to do? When we're out of communion, when fellowship is broken, it just disintegrates. And so it matters. And if it disintegrates for us that know Jesus, imagine for people who don't know Jesus at all. I know because of the good news of the gospel that I have access to all those things that happen in the temple. I know that God heals. I know that he forgives. I know that he wants to be close to me. The peace that God brings, the hope that God brings. But if I don't know Jesus, do I have access to any of those things in the same way? Thank you. Okay. So, in 2020, having hope, having access to peace, having access to joy, forgiveness of sins, do you think that would be good news to a watching world? That unity is possible. That love for others is possible. That love for difficult people is possible. Yeah, some of you on the special anointing, me too, you know, I need the well filled. So, Um, you may be saying, I would love to share the gospel more, but I am afraid. Help me. 
So um, if you can go to the next slide, there was a time when that's how people who shared the gospel felt like to a lot of people. So if you see um, a used car salesman coming towards you and you get that like feeling inside of you, just like, oh no. Um, we just kind of assume that, with, that when we come with like, you know, I'm coming carrying my Bible, you know, that people feel the same way they feel seeing that guy. Um, and that somehow we have to be that guy, you know, just, you know, awkward and, and, and with a short tie that doesn't make sense. Um, we just feel terrified. And, and, I mean, can we be honest about that? Is it a little scary? So, I just want to say right off the bat before we go into something super practical, we are not selling Jesus. Okay? Like, God has not asked us to sell his son. It is also not our job um, to get people saved. That is the Holy Spirit's job. And for some people, I mean, we just feel like, oh man, it didn't work, so now I gotta go. No, we are just called to plant and water as God has called us to do. The Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting, which is good news. And I'm gonna say this too. Some of you have been praying for people in your family for a long time that are far from God, and you've been scared to be imperfect in public, You've been nervous about your own witness because you've been carrying that burden yourself, and that's not your burden to carry. I just feel led to say that this morning. The Holy Spirit goes ahead of you, and the Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting. Okay? Cool? We can agree to that? Okay? It might not come for you now. Maybe, like, in a couple weeks, you'll be like, oh, man, that lady was at our church and said that. She was right. The Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting. And the last thing that I'll say um, before we just, we just get into like a little tiny bit of practice is that God is not asking us to do it perfectly. You know, sometimes we'll say people's no for them. You know, I mean, I'm not a person that likes to ask for help easy. You know, I'd rather just like, you know, I was passed out this week from the, from the cold and the sinus infection, and, and it was still hard for me to be like, hey, can I have a glass of water? Because there's a part where I'm like, you know what, my legs are working, I might get up and do it myself. And then I wanted to die, which was so silly. <laughs> and so there's a part in there where we just kind of have, have, and if you put this down for your verse, it's not really in the Bible. God does not help those who help themselves. That is not a real verse. So if you put that down, if that's the verse that's speaking to you, we have this off-grid conversation afterwards. That there's a part where it is very difficult for us, it is very difficult for us to say, man, I, I, I'm not going to do it perfect. You know, I forgot, like, I need to write it down on a napkin, and I need to do all the things, and I need to know the Romans road, and, and all those things are good. Um, but if we get tied up with, like, we have to do it perfectly, oh my gosh, we will be so seized up, and we won't be able to naturally share, and it'll be super awkward for everybody. Just guarantee. Super awkward. Okay, so practical way to share. So here's, um, here's what I need for you to do. If you can go to the next slide for me. I want you to go back to your verse or your story. And I want you to think, why does this verse speak to me? What about it in this verse speaks to where I'm at right now? Where I'm at today? Where I've been in my life? Why does this verse speak to me? 
Where is the gospel in this verse? We believe that the Bible is one long narrative of a redemption story. And so there are pieces all over the scripture that are gospel story. If we believe that the gospel only happened when Jesus walked to the cross and was nailed to the cross and rose again, we are looking at this much of the scripture and not the whole thing. This is the climax of a story that has the gospel embedded all the way through it. It is like the night sky and the stars. And so if you are at all reading your scriptures, at all letting the scriptures transform you, there is the gospel breathed in every narrative. So where is the gospel in this verse? The good news that God is hopeful, that God is loving, that God is kind, that he is pursuing. Where is the gospel in that verse? What in this verse would bless others? Now, this is why I love seasoned saints. This is why I love grandmas and grandpas who have been around the block many, 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 many times. Because you have seen enough in this world and you have experienced enough where you know when the scriptures have come up and you've been like, oh my gosh, I just read that this morning. I just read that this week. So you should be pros at this, just saying. What in this verse would bless others? And why does this matter now in this moment? So, I'm going to give you guys five minutes to circle up and talk to some people around you, and we're going to practice, and then we're going to talk about it. So you have five minutes to practice this morning. I know, introverts, this is your time to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to help you. (laughs) Quietly, just with one person, and I'll let you know when you have about a minute left. Just, yep, at least one of you share in a small group. Okay, so how was it? Talk to me. Good. Fun. Whoa, ooh. Yes. Comfortable. Okay, why was it comfortable? Because she could focus on the verse. Okay. Anything else? Yep. Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Okay, tell me. Okay. Okay. So, are we doing it as far as like, what's that? Oh, oh. So it was convicting. Oh man. Okay. I'm just gonna differentiate for this gentleman said it was convicting, not that it was uncomfortable, and you should never share your verse. Okay. Is uncomfortable and convicting bad? Can you talk to somebody about your faith in the middle of that? It's an opening. It's an opening. There's a reason that verses stay with us. We believe that the Bible, um, that it's, it's God-breathed. There's something living and active about it. The scriptures tell us. And there's a part that it's always transforming us. And so even in the middle of saying, man, I am convicted about this today, and I'm still deeply loved by Jesus, is that good news for somebody who's far from God? It's great news. Because I'll tell you, if there is something that people misunderstand about Christianity all the time, is that somehow we've got it all together. 
you know? Like, we stop fighting in the car, we shove our kids, you know, with some Clorox wipes into the church, you know, and everybody shows up smiling, you know, and, and they don't realize that if they would have been in the car with us five minutes earlier, it'd been all sorts of chaos. <laughs> we tend to judge Christianity by its highlight reel and not the raw footage. So there's something about bringing our honest selves into scripture that is challenging us and transforming us. The fancy word we use for that is discipleship. That we ask people to come and follow us as we're following Jesus. That includes some of our stumbling. And folks, I have to say, um, so in my, uh, in my official capacity, I am the coordinator of local missional engagement and also special projects for the Reformed Church in America. Um, what that means is, is that I serve our 860 plus churches in the United States and Canada, um, and I help them um, develop outreach plans, how they're going to connect with their community, how they're going to love and reach the lost. And I will tell you, the number one thing that has repeatedly come to the surface has been, yeah, but we're not there yet. Friends, we're not going to get there until we're in glory. We're just not, you know? Drive behind somebody who's going 20 miles under the speed limit and left their blinker on. <laughs> We're not there yet. And that's okay. That's okay. God is just asking us to follow and take one faithful step in the dust of the rabbi and then ask people, would you come with me? There is a painting called Christ in the Desert. And it shows, um, for those of you who are not familiar with the story, when Jesus goes into the wilderness and he spends 40 days um, fasting and praying before he starts his ministry. And the picture shows um, Jesus just kind of broken and quiet. Um, but he's sitting and he looks like he hasn't eaten. And the Russian artist, Ivan Kromsky, um, people pushed on him and said, you can't show a picture of Jesus like this. This was in the early 1800s. You can't show a picture of Jesus like this. This is not how Christ should look. And his quote back was, to the question, this is not Christ, how do you know he looked like that? I permitted myself to reply, but even the actual living Christ has not been recognized. Even the actual living Christ has not been recognized. May it not be said about us, would the actual and living Christ be recognized in us? On the days when we're sitting and we're broken, we're wondering where God is, may the actual and living Christ be recognized in us. When we've reached the very end of our own humanity, may the actual living Christ be recognized in us. When we're celebrating and we're having fun and we open up the door and ask the neighbors to join us, would the actual living Christ be recognized in us? When we talk to our grandkids, oh my goodness, would there be something inside of them that echoes the voice of the Holy Spirit? Would they recognize the actual living Christ in you? The good news still matters. Paul would sum it up this way in his letter to the Romans. In chapter 5, he starts, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. So there it is, peace. Faith. 
grace. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, joy and hope. And it says later, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, that is good news. And so when we share where the good news is shaping us today, out of what we're reading, out of what we're experiencing in the scripture, where God is shaping and challenging us, where he's refining us, it should make us uncomfortable. It should make us feel familiar. It should feel like, like real time what is happening. It doesn't require you writing it down, but just saying, here's what I've been reading this morning. Here's what just got me in the gut this morning. Man, here's what I've been praying for my kids. Can I pray for your kids too? I'm just going to say this as a, as a closing thought. Uh, we are getting ready and have already been in a time of unbelievable protest and outrage in our country. And this is not a political statement. That we believe in our own confessions that we belong to Jesus in body, in life and death. And at the end of the day, that is the good news that matters the most. That is the news that matters the most. And there are people that are just angry and hurt and broken and frustrated. And friends, this is the time where the gospel matters the most. That we can come in and say, we've got good news. I don't have an answer to everything that's happening, but I've got good news for how to walk through it. And especially for some of you folks, that this is not your first time being in an age of protest. This is not your first time at the rodeo. I'm not calling anybody old. I'm calling you seasoned veterans. That you know what it's like to be able to still faithfully walk through with the good news of the gospel and to give people hope that we can walk through this season as well. Your voice matters. Your courageous voice of discipleship matters. The good news matters. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so thankful for your church here. I'm so grateful for Hope Church, God. I'm thankful for the ways that it is um, growing and deepening. I'm grateful for the prayer requests and the, and the praises that have come out of this congregation this morning. God, and I'm grateful for the ways that the gospel is still speaking to them. Stories and verses that they've held on to their whole lives or God are just troubling them and exciting them this morning. God, I say thank you. I thank you that you desire to talk with your people, you desire to dwell with your people, that you desire to be physical, physically present with your people, and you desire them to be physical representations to a watching world. God, I thank you for the way that you ask us to partner with you. And we hold fast, knowing that you so love the world that you gave your only son. What good news. And so, Jesus, I just say thank you for the word that was deposited in us this morning. I ask would it continue to challenge and excite us 
And God, would we find ways and would you open doors that we would be able to see them so clearly where you're asking us to share how we could be faithful and we could share the good news, the good news that matters. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand?